Will you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2? And today we're going to speak of the baptism of fire. On February the 10th, 2013, a fire broke out in the engine room of the Carnival cruise ship Triumph. The fire knocked out the ship's power, leaving the vessel drifting in the Gulf of Mexico currents. How many of you remember that? You remember that? More than 4,200 passengers and crew were left in limbo. The lost power made it impossible to operate flush toilets, keep cool in the unshaded waters of the the ocean, and preserve and cook all of the perishable food that was on board. Passengers reported long lines for the food that was there. There was, of course, shortages of fresh water. There was illness and widespread boredom, to say the least. Many passengers slept in the hallways or outside to escape the the terrible odors and the heat of being below, below deck. CNN dubbed the Triumph, or the ship the Triumph, the cruise ship from hell. That's a good advertisement, isn't it? <clears throat> well, the ship finally ported safely in Mobile, Alabama. On Valentine's Day of 2013 at 9 o'clock in the evening, news crews had been flying in helicopters following the ship. They watched passengers as they begged for help. And the ship's loss of power wasn't just a tragedy for the passengers. Carnival Cruise Lines lost hundreds of millions of dollars. But they learned their lesson because the Triumph set sail again in June of 2013, this time completely outfitted with new emergency power capabilities. Here's what Carnival knows. Carnival knows that when the power goes out, the party is over. A ship with no power is a raft. A church with no power, well, that too is a body of people who are simply set adrift. It would be difficult to have a series about baptism, and this is a four-part series about baptism. Last Sunday, we talked about being baptized in Jesus or baptized into Christ, and we'll see more about that today. We're going to speak next Sunday of the baptism of Jesus. And then on the final Sunday, the Sunday before Thin Blue Line Day, we're going to see what it means to have a believer's baptism. But you could not have a series about baptism that didn't address the baptism of fire, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that took place on the day of Pentecost that ushered in the age of the church. So if you'll look at Acts chapter 2, we'll begin with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Well, the most obvious and talked about aspect of this passage is the power of Holy Spirit baptism. What a powerful day in the history of Christianity. What a powerful day in the history of the church. This was a day that had been promised. It had been promised from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15 and verse 26, Jesus again speaking, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Again, Jesus speaking in John 16 and verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So then, the day of Pentecost was not something that took the early church or the early believer by surprise. What did surprise them was the power of Pentecost and the the miracles of Pentecost, and all that surrounded the day that we call Pentecost. Here's what they came to understand, those early believers, that Pentecost and the Holy Spirit baptism and the baptism of fire will have affected every believer present. Here is what we know about the actual day of Pentecost. First, we know that the body of disciples were together in one place. Now, this is not just the remaining 11 of the original 12 apostles. This was the body of disciples. These were the believers in Jerusalem. These were the people who had taken up their cross and followed Jesus. They were not yet the church, but they were about to be. They were the believers. This is the day when everything would change for these disciples of Jesus Christ. On this day, they would change from being a group of followers to actually becoming the church, the body of Christ. On this very day, 
Were they going to heaven prior to that? Well, of course they were. They were believers. But on this day, they became the church. You'll recall from last Sunday, as we've already spoken of, that we talked about being baptized into the body of Christ. That is, that the Holy Spirit of God places us at our point of salvation into the body of Christ. We are literally plunged in today. Plunge in today and be made complete, we just sang. We are plunged in today when we're saved. We are placed into the body of Christ. This baptism began with these believers in Jerusalem and in other places that we'll mention uh, as time goes on. But as far as the Jerusalem disciples were concerned, they were all present. There were no absentees. No one was at the beach. No one stayed up late watching their team play the night before. No one just didn't feel like getting up. They were all present. And it's a good thing, too, because they were present when the power fell on the church. The power uh, established the church. So it affected every believer present. Here's the next thing that we know. All who were present received the powerful presence, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was the establishment of the church. The promised Holy Spirit would now come to the disciples of Christ and would not depart until the rapture of the church. So the indwelling Holy Spirit of God came at the day of Pentecost. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God will exit at the day of of the rapture. When the Holy Spirit is removed from the presence of the earth, the church is removed too because the church is the embodiment of the Holy Spirit of God. This morning, the Holy Spirit of God standing before you is wearing a charcoal pinstriped suit, a blue tie, and a white shirt. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you that where the Holy Spirit lives today has got this outfit on. Also has on a green dress. It also has on a black dress. It has on a a shirt with no tie today. Has on golf shirts, polo shirts. It has, the the Holy Spirit of God today is, is manifest in the embodiment of this body of Christ, in the embodiment of this church. When the Holy Spirit is removed from the presence of the earth, the church is removed too. Here's where you find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it, that is the lawlessness, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, who is it that's restraining the lawlessness in this world? Well, preacher, I don't think anybody is restraining the lawlessness in this world. The lawlessness in this world is unfettered. It is running wild. It's crazy. I'll agree with you. But could I tell you that it's getting crazier and it's going to get crazier when the church is removed, when the presence of the Holy Spirit is removed. Here's what it says in verse 8 of that text. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth 
and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Here's what you should see. The Holy Spirit was promised to come, and the Holy Spirit is promised to leave. Just like Jesus was promised to come, and Jesus was promised to leave, and he did. And now Jesus has promised to come back. The coming of the Holy Spirit was on the day of Pentecost. The exit of the Holy Spirit will be the rapture of the church. The Holy Spirit had been present in certain times just as the Son had been present, but just as Jesus came in body, born of a virgin, the Holy Spirit came to indwell the body of Christ at Pentecost. Every believer is still affected by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. As we said last week, you can't be in the body of Christ. You can't be saved unless you have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I do that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit of God will place you into the body of Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that places you in the body of Christ. And Romans says that if we do not have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are none of His or we are not saved. So today, if you are saved, if you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit of God has baptized you into the body of Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, the Holy Spirit has certainly been present in times past before the literal uh, coming to indwell the church, just as the Son of God had been present in times past. In the creation, God said, let us make man. Now, who would be the us? Well, the us would be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in a different way than he had come at times before. He came to indwell just as Jesus had come to dwell. On the first day of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, there were every believer was affected. Secondly, there were miracles that allowed miraculous communication. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you're going to hear something today you don't often hear. You're going to hear a Baptist preacher tell you about speaking in tongues. So get out your pencil and paper. They spoke in a language that was different from what they already knew. They spoke in other tongues. This is not a farce. This is not a fluke. This is not something that's spiritualized. This is something that was very real on the day of Pentecost. Now, in a moment, we will see why this was happening, but there is no doubt that it happened on the day of Pentecost. And let me say this to you, as you've already gotten from the text, they did not speak in a tongue that was unknown. They spoke in a tongue that was known. They spoke in known languages, but those languages were different from those languages that they knew. Now, in the world today, you find a lot of people who are bilingual. I would say that in the United States, we have fewer bilingual people than any other country in the world. I would say every other country has more people who can speak more than one language 
than does the United States. Now, I found out why several years ago as I was riding to the airport in Budapest, Hungary, coming back from Romania. A dear friend, uh, his name is Ludwig. Ludwig said to me, he had throat cancer and he, he can barely speak, but he said to me in a very raspy voice, he said, do you know why we'll all speak English in heaven? And I said, no, why? He said, because Americans refuse to learn another language. <clears throat> and he's about right. I have been all over the world, yet I do not speak other languages. I can speak a little bit of other languages. I can order a banana milkshake in Argentina. I can order coffee in Argentina. I can, I can eat in Argentina. I use the point and grin method. I can say some things in, in uh, Romanian that are helpful and some that are not helpful. Let's just talk about the, the day of Pentecost experience and, and if it were to happen to me today. If the day of Pentecost experience happened to me today, I might be able to speak in Russian or German or Spanish or Italian or French. I don't know any of those languages. <clears throat> but if God were to give me a day of Pentecost experience, that would be what I would do. If God gave to me today a day of Pentecost experience, and let's say that he gave me Spanish, and I began to preach in Spanish, A, there'd be a purpose for it. B, I would be preaching. I wouldn't just be talking. And C, you would understand it, some of you who speak Spanish. Same is true with other languages. So let's see what the purpose of Holy Spirit baptism should be. There's no question that the miraculous events of the day of Pentecost and, and the time of the early church produced some unprecedented excitement. Oh my goodness, it was exciting on the day of Pentecost. There's never been a day in the church that has equaled the excitement of the day of Pentecost. Now here's what I do know. Ever since that time, there have been more than a few who've tried to reproduce that excitement. What happened on the day of Pentecost was not manufactured. What happened on the day of Pentecost was not planned by man. What happened on the day of Pentecost was a manifestation of God's power as he established the local uh, New Testament church and began the spreading of the gospel worldwide. It's important to see the verses uh, after verse 4 in this. Look at verse 4 and following of our text. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at that sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we are hearing each of us in his own native language? And then they lay out 15 different languages that were being heard or spoken that day. Uh, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty work of God. At least 15 different people groups were represented on that day and list, listed by name in that passage. And each one of them heard the powerful works of God being spoken to them in their own language by people who spoke Galilean. The Bible says that these were devout people, not the Galileans. They were obviously people who had been born again. But these devout people were the ones who had heard the mighty works of God. The languages spoken may very well have been native to the Galilean Jews, but the people who heard it were from everywhere. I don't know, the Galileans may have been speaking their Galilean tongue, but it was interpreted differently. Or they spoke in different languages. I think they spoke possibly in different languages. But the Bible says that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had an interest in the things of God, thus the acknowledgement of their being devout, that is, those who heard it this day. And remember, there was another devout person in Scripture who had come a little later. His name was Cornelius. He was a devout man, and Simon Peter, and God sent Simon Peter to him for the purpose of the clarification of the gospel. There are a lot of devout people who are not yet saved. And one of the things that drives missions is that there are people out there who are devout and have some response to a worship, yet they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that they might respond to that which is uh, the saving power of God. These devout or religious Jews from many places were gathered in Jerusalem when the day of Pentecost came. And when it came, they heard the works of God proclaimed, and what they were hearing was the gospel. Upon their wonderment, Simon Peter began to preach the gospel. And again, I'm sure that they heard in their own language. When he came to the end of his preaching, he gave an invitation. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me stop right there and say this. Repent and be baptized for the, forgiveness of, for the forgiveness of sin, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how Simon Peter, on the very first day of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, linked Holy Spirit baptism with coming to Jesus Christ and repentance? I'm telling you that I could baptize every one of you by water, and you should be baptized by water after you're saved, and we'll talk about that later in this. There shouldn't be a believer. There shouldn't be one born-again believer who has not been baptized after he was saved. But I will say this to you. If I were to baptize you before you got saved, all you would get would be wet because there is no power in my baptism. The baptism that that we do as Baptists is a baptism symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a baptism identifying with the Holy Spirit of God that baptized us into the body of Christ. The baptism that we practice in the Baptist church is a baptism of obedience, obeying what God had told to us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that came on this day was the baptism that we get when we're born again 
baptized into Jesus Christ. Picking up in verse, 29, verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, we bore witness and continued, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can somebody say amen to a day like that? Amen. Now, three things were happening. First of all, the church was being established. There are some people who argue the day of the start of the church, but it's pretty clear that the day of Pentecost ushered in the church age. Extraordinary things were happening on this day. Here's the second thing. Religious Jews needed to know that God was doing something new. Jerusalem was filled with devout Jews who would be witness to the empowering of the church. They even spoke of it. They were devout men, and they said, listen to this. We're hearing the powerful works of God spoken to us in a language that is our language. They speak Galilean, yet we are hearing our language from them. And even more important, lost people who may never hear again needed to hear the gospel on this day, and 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. The Bible says that those 3,000 heard and they believed. Now, the church would be broadcast to the world as it was being established, uh, and, and there was, excuse me, as it was being established, there was again the empowering of the Holy Spirit as it was broadcast to the world. Let's, let me back up and talk to you again about traveling to other countries. I've traveled to other countries. In fact, this coming year in June, I'm hoping to take a group of you to Romania. I'm hoping that a group of you will want to go to Romania. I'm trying to get final word uh, from uh, my friends and our friends in Romania, and, and we will go there. We'll talk about that more later. But, but I've traveled to many countries. Most of those countries speak a language different from mine. I have sat for hours, literally hours, beside someone on an airplane who did not speak English. And I did not speak their language. I truly believe with all of my heart, now you listen to me, I truly believe with all of my heart that if God chose to do so, God could allow me to speak the gospel to them and they could hear it in their own language. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe if there were a devout man or woman sitting beside me and the airplane was going down, and this was their last opportunity to be saved, and they turned to me and they spoke in their own language and asked me what's happening, I could respond to them if God gave me that response. I could respond to them and they could understand me and they could come to Jesus Christ. Don't you think God could do that? Of course God could do that. God did it on the day of Pentecost. But you can be sure of this. There would be a clarity of the message that is the deliverance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I sat on there, I wouldn't speak to them in their language miraculously and ask them what they did for a living. Or they say to me, I don't understand all of those things that you're saying, but I recognize some syllables as being from my language. 
If I had a day of Pentecost experience, and I'm not being unkind, I'm just being clear. If I had a day of Pentecost experience on that airplane, and there was a need, and there was a time, God could give to me, and God could give to you the ability to speak the gospel to them, and them the ability to hear in their own language, or you the ability to speak their language. Now, let me say this. This has never happened to me. And honestly, I have never heard of it happening to anyone else. But the closest thing to a day of Pentecost experience would be something along these lines. Often overlooked is the fact that prior to the day of Pentecost, Jesus himself told his followers of the day to come and the reason for the day. This is the plan for Holy Spirit baptism in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now watch this. Here's the purpose for the establishment of the church and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit baptism is so that the church would be empowered to go and spread the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose. It wasn't to have a Saturday night speak a different language service. It was for the purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we shared in our last message, whenever anyone is saved, and we've already talked about it today, they are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and thus given the power to become witnesses to the end of the earth. Nothing extra or special needs to happen in your life in order to have the power of God to witness to others. You are already empowered at salvation just as the first Christians were empowered at Pentecost. The plan of Holy Spirit baptism is to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And you and I are part of that plan. Listen to me. You and I are part of that plan. It's not just me. We have have enjoyed spectator sports so long that we think church is a spectator thing. I am not the church. I am the pastor of a local church. You are the church. And the church was empowered to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. And we're part of that plan, and you fulfill that plan as you tell others of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You say, well, I never tell anybody what Jesus has done in my life. Well, you should because that's part of the plan. You fulfill that plan when you bring other people to the house of God with you to hear the message of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm just not comfortable asking other people to come and go to church with me. Well, you should be because that's part of the plan of getting to the ends of the earth. We fulfill that plan as we give to to God through his local church and support missions across the street and around the world. That is all part of that plan. The plan for the Holy Spirit of God is that we might receive it at at, uh, salvation and utilize it through our lives as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may I say this to you, that when we come to the end of this life, and we stand before the Lord, it will not matter one whit to us how much we had accumulated in this life. It will not matter one bit to us how much education that we had in this life. It will not matter one bit to us how much we beat our 
uh, the other team yesterday on Saturday. It will not matter one bit how many signed items we have from our sports hero. I want to tell you something. When we stand before a holy God, and that's going to be for an eternity, not just this vapor of life, here's what's going to matter to us. What did we do with the plan? Well, I never knew about the plan. Oh, you know about the plan. All of us know about the plan. When we were saved, God empowered us by the Holy Spirit, and we are part of the plan. When we fail to speak to others uh, about Jesus and 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 uh, share Jesus with them, when we're standing in the way of the, we are standing in the way of the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what I want: I want to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit, not a blockage of it. You ought to ask yourself that today. As you walk out, you ought to ask yourself, am I a vessel of the Holy Spirit of God or am I a blockage? Am I stopping the message from going forward or am I an open path for the message to go forward through me? This morning, we have seen the power and the purpose and the plan regarding the Holy Spirit. There's one more thing, and that is the pleasure of Holy Spirit baptism. What is supposed to, what's it supposed to be like when the church comes together in the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you like to know what it's supposed to look like? I hope you do, because I'm going to tell you, and if you don't run out the door. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and see the outcome of what happened on that day with those 3,000 decisions. Big day. Big day. I, you know what they probably did? They probably planned another big day. They probably said, whoo, this is good. We're going to go for 6,000 next Sunday. We're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, that wasn't their mission. Their mission was to go to the ends of the earth. Now, how did they do that empowered by the uh, Holy Spirit of God? Well, look at verse 42. This is continuing the results now of the day of Pentecost. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts." praising God and and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, day by day, as those were being saved. Now, there's seven great things that happen. I'm going to give you these seven great things, and I'm done. These seven great things are needed in the church today. do Do you want to have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Forget about your church right now. Do you want to have this in your life? Well, let me show you something that's born out of it. First of all, there was devotion. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They weren't spinning the message for their own cause and their own benefit, but they were devoted to what the Scriptures taught. Not only that, but they were devoted to the rest of the body of believers. There were no lone wolf believers. They were devoted 
to the cause, and they were devoted to one another. There was a devotion to God. There was a devotion to the apostles. There was a devotion to the church. Here's the second thing. There was awesomeness. Awesomeness. Verse 43 tells us that they lived in awe of what God was doing among them. Awe. For the past couple of days, we've had our little granddaughter Emerson at our house. She's 18 months old. We have a grandfather clock. And every time she'd hear that grandfather clock go off, she'd go. And she would look at, at, at Yanni and she'd say, oh, wow. She was in awe of that clock. I can sit in the house and that clock can go off and I not even hear it. It's the way people are a lot of times in their spiritual walk. They can be in God's work. They can be around God's work, and it never even phased them. I can't remember if I went to church or not. I just can't remember. This is probably where we miss it the most. So much good has happened for so long that that we have become jaded by the goodness of God. We are no longer in awe of what He is doing in our lives or, or in our church. We are more about, how did I like church today? than being in awe of him. Here's what we want. We want a musical concert that we enjoy. We don't want to be in awe of him. We want a message that affirms us instead of disturbing us. We don't want to be in awe of him. We want a free hand to live like we want to live and still be good Christians. We don't want to live in awe of him. And by all means, a church and a message that doesn't cost us anything because we really don't want to live in awe of him. Believe me, there are those places out there. But I will tell you this, in the early church, you know what they had? They had a devotion to the scriptures, a devotion to the apostles, a devotion to the body of Christ, and they lived in an awesomeness, and there was unity. In this church so filled with the Holy Spirit, they were together, so much so that they were defined by their generosity. The Bible says they sold their stuff and shared it. Now, could I tell you that I have yet to see a church that wants to duplicate this part of Pentecost? I've yet to see a church well, preacher, we just need more power of God in our church. What we need. Get to bouncing a little bit. Oh, great. Sell your stuff. Huh? Say what? When I in the first church, they had a generosity because of their unity. There's some preachers out there that encourage their congregation to sell their stuff so they can buy a bigger airplane, but there's No church that I know of that's so empowered by the Holy Spirit of God that the people say, let's just sell our stuff and share with those in need. There was faithfulness. Look again at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Can you imagine if that were today? Today's church is not marked by faithfulness, and I'm not talking about you, although you probably are part of it. I'm part of it. Today's church is marked by unfaithfulness. 
It used to be that faithful church membership meant that everyone was in church every time the doors are open except for one vacation a year and if they were really, really sick. Just this side of the emergency room sick. Even that paled in comparison to the day of Pentecost church. You know how often they met? Every day. Every day. And they met for fellowship. Let me ask a question. How many people do you know in this church family? Well, I don't know very many because I just think the church is unfriendly. I think it's an unfriendly church. So I don't know anybody. Don't don't bother to get to know anybody because I just think it's unfriendly. Okay, let me tell you how an unfriendly church starts. By people being unfriendly. You got to get out of it. This Holy Spirit powerful church was a friendly church. They could name people in their church. I, I, there's, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I, it may, I hope it doesn't come across mean. That last one's kind of funny, actually. But, uh, but there's some of you that don't know 20 people in this church. You don't know 10 people. There's some of you that don't know five. And you've been coming here a long time. You don't know five people in this church. I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit of God got a hold of you and got a hold of this church. We'd know one another. And you know what all that would result in? Growth. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this is where everybody wants to jump. Everybody wants to jump here. This is, well, why aren't we growing? Why ain't this? Why ain't that? And, and so on. Well, let's, let's back up. On this day of Pentecost, there was devotion, there was awesomeness, there was unity, there was generosity, there was faithfulness, there was fellowship, and all of that bore growth. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, there are a lot of us who want a lot for our lives and for our church. We have ideas of what would help us to reach more. If we just did this, we'd reach more. If we just did that, we'd reach more. And I understand that. I'm not not against that. I think those same things. But on the day of Pentecost, there was no speculation. There were only believers living powerful, spirit-filled lives. Everything was as it should be when the church walked in the Spirit's power. And can I say this to you? Everything will be as it should be when today's church walks in the Spirit's power.